0: Today, Robin interviews Elizabeth Vanderwiel about fear, and we geek out with Mary over Shakespeare's sonnets. All this and more on The Leftscape!
1: I'm Robin Renee, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. And I'm Wendy Sheridan.
0: And uh, this week, uh, we're in the middle of Influenza Week and Older Driver Safety Week. Uh, And on 12-4, it is National Dice Day. And I bring this up because Mary and I play uh, Pathfinder, which is a version of dungeons and dragons and which basically feeds into any dice collecting obsession that you might have because gamers that play these kinds of role-playing games really never have enough dice yeah because they
2: always think that these particular dice that they're using are unlucky so they have to have some (laughs) other dice right
0: yes yes and i'm also i'm also waiting for the kickstarter dice thing that i funded like two years ago to finally like show up at some point. I did get a, I did get a, a, an update that, that they finally got through production. So maybe, maybe by the holidays, you know, we'll all, <laughs> the dice will be here and I can gift them to the people who are still alive that I meant that I bought them for. So, um so that happened. Uh, the fourth is also national sock day. <laughs> and I, don't understand what that is if it's just buy socks wear socks i don't maybe know maybe
2: it's go through your house and find all those missing <laughs> socks
0: um and the fifth is a day that i i thought of um particularly that struck me for rob and it's called bathtub party day i, I uh, could do oh, that i need a hot tub though
2: <laughs> yeah i
0: mean when i read about it it's really just go take a bath but I think Robin would actually have a bathtub party. I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I, I I think
1: I have actually
0: technically. So. Well, it's a hot tub, yeah. yeah. So, um, and it's also an International Ninja Day. So after your bath, go dress like a ninja and sneak around. Um, unless unless that's now considered a cultural appropriation, which I don't know. Um, on the seventh is Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day. Uh, The Skywarn Recognition Day, Um, and that day is to honor the amateur radio operators that help get the word out for severe weather, which I didn't know was a thing. So Mm. uh, that's a cool thing. Um, On the 8th, it is pretend to be a time traveler day. and I actually really like this
2: one. Yeah, Um, this looks good. Explain it.
0: Yes, uh, it's supposed to, you must spend the entire day in costume and character the only rule is that you cannot actually tell anyone that you were a time traveler other than that (laughs) anything's game that sounds
1: like fun (laughs) that that
0: really
2: does sound like fun
0: yeah um i don't know if i'd want to be from the past or the future for that one you know um and it's also since i don't work in an office anymore (laughs) it's gonna be what else i'll dress up and sit at home it's like okay Oh, no, you have
1: to go out of the town and do what it's like to be dressed however you're dressed, you know. (laughs) Make
2: sure you have some errands to do or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, go to the DMV. (laughs) What is this automobile you need me to get a license for? (laughs) (laughs) Velocipede. Also, uh, it is uh, remembering John Lennon. I'm assuming that's because the 8th is the The day day he was was killed. killed. Yes, the day
1: he died in 1980, so
0: yeah <sighs> um okay and on to the ninth it is weary willie day um and weary willie is the character of emmett the cl- clown character that emmett kelly used to play and it's celebrating the art of clowning and i i think mary you want to well
2: mention- i just i've been thinking a lot about clowning lately just because because i see notices of friends of mine putting together clown shows and uh, I have to say, I just really like clowns—not not the scary clowns, but real, true clowns that aren't um, all clowns scary. No, <laughs> there, there's. Uh, I've taken clown workshops where I have laughed so much uh, that I thought I was going to die. But um, the clowns have particular rules. If it, it, it's a true clown, there are four simple rules, and the first rule. Is the clown must please authority, and this sounds like oh, you know, but it's actually everybody is authority to the clown. So mm. uh, the audience is the authority. So the okay. clown, the clown is one of those people that wants to please everybody, and by trying to please everybody, they don't please anybody. So it's people that you know really. It's there's a philosophy that can touch your everyday life. Thinking so about sort of,
0: clowns, but it's ironic though too. Yeah, and it's like and it also must grow out of the court jester. As no, cause, no, no, because no, I thought he was his purpose was to please the king. So
2: yeah, I, his but he he's also clever. Clowns oh okay, because rule number two is the clown has a little brain, but he uses <laughs> all of it. okay and and, okay what are the other two rules okay um the clown has no memory so that's rule number three so that means he never learns from his past mistakes and then clown rule number four is the clown lives in failure oh yeah which is sad but yeah he always always the first three
0: rules the first three rules applied to like dogs
2: I guess so. Yeah. You don't the, think dogs,
0: dogs ever learn
1: anything? <laughs> I think well, they
0: do. Well, they do learn, but um, unless they're old, apparently, you know. Oh, okay. uh, the old dog you trick thing, but that's a pleasing everybody
2: and the small brain, but uses all of it. It's a kind of, that's kind of like a dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dogs are very clown like. And then there's the philosophy of clowning is that. The clown's job is not to make you laugh. The clown's job is to tell the truth. Oh. Okay. So that's that's why I love clowning. There's a clown show going on in New York uh, right now called S- Slava's Snow, and I'd really love to go to it. Uh, this sounds this sounds like a future geekscape. I want to learn
1: all oh, yeah. about this
2: actually. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's get this this way more way more layers than you think, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: More than just the makeup and the nose.
2: Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. um, Pleasing authority is very difficult, especially when the teacher of the clown workshop, he would be the authority and he gave us an assignment at one point that there was going to be auditions in the clowns want to um, prepare something to perform, to show that they're good performers. So everybody was working out little bits and things and then they were going to get up one at a time on stage and do it for the authority and the authority. There was this one girl, she, her clown was so sweet and she got up and he said, get up and do your thing. And so she got up and she did this little dance thing and ended it. And he said, okay, do your thing. (laughs) I said, she didn't do it. And she just said, wait a second. I did it, but without talking. So she does it again. And, and she finishes that. And he says, okay, do your thing. And, and, And he, the more, the more he just said that, the more she like tried so very, very hard to do it bigger and bigger and bigger. It was so funny. It was like seeing the, this poor woman's brain work as hard, like smoke coming out of her ears, trying to get this thing done. And he just wasn't taking it. And, uh, I, I just thought I was going to pee my pants. She was so good. She was so good. <laughs> anyway, that's what I love. Clowns. Anyway,
0: rounding out the week on the 10th of December is Dewey Decimal System Day, uh, which I there's a part of me that really likes this. So I guess that's a day where go to the library or go catalog your books or just look up some weird numbers. <laughs> um and uh it's also humans human rights day and nobel prize day and uh that means the nobel prize day is when they announce um a bunch of the nobel prizes
2: Mm. i wonder if dewey decimal system would be a good day to go to that library and find
1: all the books that somebody's hiding (laughs) that would be a good one and i love the fact that stephen colbert sent the unhideable one it's it's there now (laughs) (laughs) So.
0: <laughs> There's no missing that book. Nope. So those are all the days for this week, and we have to say birthdays, thank you, or happy birthdays to
1: people.
2: Oh, I'm doing birthdays, aren't I? Yeah. Okay. Well, on December fourth is Jay Z's birthday, and Tyra Banks, happy birthday to them. And on the fifth is Little Richard and Margaret Cho. Then on the seventh is Terrell Owens, also known as T.O., wide receiver for San Francisco, (laughs) 49ers. Okay. Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, okay. The Eagles. (laughs) The Eagles. (laughs) And Dallas Cowboys. Okay. That's that's our uh, sports for the year. (laughs) Uh, 1288. Nikki Minaj. And Uh uh, Sinead O'Connor, I always forget how to say her name, Uh, Jim Morrison, Uh, rest in peace, Jim Morrison. And then on the ninth is Donnie Osmond, Dame Judith Dench. That's interesting that they share a birthday. Uh, Imogen Heap and Kurt Douglas. He'll be, Kurt Douglas will be 103. Holy shit. Wow. Happy birthday, Kurt. On the 10th is Meville Dewey. Uh, Happy birthday to him, Bobby, Flay, and Emily Dickinson. Happy birthday to all them. Emily Dickinson is passed, of course. And up
0: next is all the news we can handle.
1: Well, we have had some pretty interesting uh, developments in the impeachment hearing, I I think, um, Gordon Sunlin really sang. I,
2: yeah. I loved his attitude. That's what I loved was he was smiling and he was he was like he was at a party.
1: Yeah, it was definitely interesting. But, you know, the upshot of his uh, testimony really was that was there a quid pro quo? The answer is yes. And basically everyone knew everything. So that's essentially what he said. Like, uh, he lined everybody
0: up on the road and drove the bus over them all.
2: Well, I think it was more of he saw that people were trying to shove him under the bus and he decided to pull everyone
1: along with him. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he was absolutely involved in everything. So he just decided to, you know, well, he remembered suddenly all the things that he had forgotten in his initial testimony. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so that, you know, Pence and Pompeo and Trump and really everybody had a hand in this. And the other thing I thought was interesting was that, you know, Trump was telling people to work with Giuliani and no one really wanted to work with him. (laughs) It was was sort of humorous to hear that. Um, And I can't remember who said it, but someone said that, you know, Rudy is a hand grenade. Exactly. Oh, that was fiona hill said that oh right fiona hill said that one yeah no. so um but you know it's it, I, to me it's really just a matter of um the challenge is that we have two very different news systems so that people who don't ever want to believe this aren't really going to but mm. i think some some amount of people will listen to reason and sort of overwhelming evidence i i believe i hope i hope. Know. well yeah. let's hope
0: it's the the right people who want to listen to it and and want to <clears throat> maintain this country you know as a as a country that has the rule of law
1: that's the most important thing of all yeah I, mean, I think
2: so yeah. what is the defense that the uh republicans are using
1: from With my under, from what I've seen, it's it's more like character assassination of the other of the people speaking,
2: oh, yeah,
1: well, that's that's an old ploy, right. so um you know th- it, um someone who is not originally from the u s, like questioning their loyalty or um, just using or just talking about the alternative facts as Kellyanne put it (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know that um you know well what about Ukraine's uh influence on the on the 2016 election you know when Uh it's been very very clearly understood by just about everybody that that's not a thing that happened you know Mm -hmm. but they sort of just, just keep on talking about it right exactly I mean part of Fiona Hill's testimony which I thought was the most compelling was when she basically said that narrative is a fiction. And I, I'm hearing people continuing to repeat that, you know. Um, You're just doing the work of the Russians for them when you repeat it. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, I, I mean, I think, I think what, what was said and what was revealed is all really important. It is just, I, I think it is a matter of convincing enough people that either that it's a liability to continue to support the, the the untruths you know or that really something's got to click in in some folks head about really taking care of democracy despite what they think they might get out of Trump you know as a as president so yeah.
2: and then this stuff about Devin Nunes was so the him going on and on about about the uh Ukrainian, the hoax of Ukrainians doing the bad stuff in our election, and then finding out that he went and met with Giuliani and tried to get the Ukrainians to do it in the first place. So it's like he's one of the people that should be on trial, not not
1: sitting at and asking questions. Yeah, that was that was another big one. So it's almost like I I had actually forgotten about that because there's so much. But yeah, that's that's another point. Um, What about
2: these tapes now?
0: Well, I they don't say what was in the tapes, but Lev Parnas, who I think is a a law partner of Rudy Giuliani, turned over a bunch of video and audio tapes to the House Intelligence Committee uh, yesterday, I think.
1: So we've got to find that would be
0: Sunday november 24th so
1: <laughs> that's yep. that's
0: yesterday for us right now
1: so we'll see what yeah what that's comes uh, of this yeah
0: yeah
2: looking um, forward to that yeah
0: um what i am not looking forward to uh is the website the witch's voice shutting down at oh. the end of the year i was very sad to see that i kind of understand why i know fritz and wren have been running this is uh the witch's voice is a i guess a, a web.one website that has been in existence what since like 1995
1: a long like time that. i mean i
0: feel like yeah, i've been I think aware it's of
1: 95 it um for as lo- about as long as i've been part. i mean of that's how i found you guys paganism. oh
0: okay. that's how i found yeah because you know i was i was kind of new to rock. i mean i was on there and and it's how music for the goddess got any traction at all at the beginning Oh, mm. uh, that was my band if you if you you are a new listener, and don't know. Well, I mean, it's if you go there now before the end of December uh, to witchvox.com, you could see how everything was arranged. It was arranged by state. Uh, you know, my daughter was looking for people when she moved to uh, San Diego. I, I told her go to the, go to witchvox and and look for look at San Diego because they list groups, you know, groups, uh, covens, and other groups of people that that gather. Would put their group down there and how to contact them. They had a big thing for you know pagans in the military and and it, and it was a great networking resource that really has not been replaced by Facebook because Facebook operates so differently.
1: Right. Uh, it was it's a good resource for me. I definitely learned a lot about festivals where I wanted to perform. Oh yeah, and that sort of stuff. It was a real resource in that regard.
0: Yeah, they would list all the festivals all over the all over the world. It wasn't just in the United States. It was a global, <clears throat> it was a global site, and they kind of you know the the part. Uh, there was a news of interest of pagans that they would also post there, and that kind of got transferred over to Facebook. So it's not like it's it's uh, disappearing off the face of the earth. I think I'm hoping they will not get rid of it on archive.org. Uh, there was another site I used to go to that the owner of the site asked them not to archive the site, which made me very sad. So that, you know, that particular site is gone forever. But so I I believe that archive.org or the Wayback Machine, as it was called, uh, might contain some things. But If you were a contributor to The Witch's Voice and you published your own writing and poetry or whatever up there uh, and you want to get it for yourself, if you don't have your own copies anymore, this month is the month to do. Go get your stuff because after December it won't exist and you'll be able to to, uh, get it. And I just want to put my – say my appreciation to Fritz and Wren for – for doing this for so many years. Um, and it, it was, a a great resource and something we all used. So thank you guys.
1: Absolutely. Thanks. (laughs) And, uh, tonight, if you are interested, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, uh, December 4th, it is the day of the for hire audition book release party. So if you, um, are fan of the books of Kevin A. Patterson and Alana Phelan, uh, who do the For Hire book series about uh, queer polyamorous people of color superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> you will, you will uh, definitely have fun going to their book release party. They're going to do, um, this is happening at uh, Amalgam Comics and Coffee House in Philadelphia. And it starts at six o'clock. And they're going to have a discussion on race, sexuality, relationships, and representation in science fiction and fantasy. And I'll also talk a little bit about the creation of the Four Higher series. And the rest of the time, they'll be signing books. And there's uh, music by DJ B Crip. So it's going to be it's going to be fun. I'll I'll be there. Oh, so, awesome! Yeah, tell so, us all about it. Next week, absolutely.
0: <laughs> and that's all the news we can handle. I'm Kevin Patterson of Poly Role Models.
1: And I'm Melanna Phelan, the polyamorous librarian. Together we write the For Hire novels, and you are listening to The Leftscape. The shape of progressive conversation. Hello. We at The Leftscape would like to thank everyone who has reached out with sympathy and support for Mary after the recent passing of her husband, Alan Seamock. Friends of Mary and Alan's began a GoFundMe page to help pay the enormous bills for Alan's hospital stay. That GoFundMe is still open for those who would like to help Mary with all the expenses associated with this very difficult time. If you'd like to contribute, you can do so at bit.ly slash That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash help Thank you. Well, I'm here with Dr. Elizabeth Vanderweel, and she is a full cycle learning, change, and fear expert in Seattle, Washington. She's committed to helping individuals and organizations navigate the messy, difficult work of learning and change. She's currently working on a book that will help people use their fears rather than be used by them. Welcome.
3: Hello, good morning. (laughs)
1: I am so glad to be talking with you. Um, We've, I I know you as Evie, we've known each other for a long time, but I haven't really talked to you very uh, formally about this part of your work. So I'm really excited that you're willing to have a chat with us for the Leftscape.
3: Yay. Anytime I can talk about fear. It's delicious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. As indicated in your intro, um, many people are just run by their fears, essentially, you know, and so I'm wondering, what gave you the idea and the courage to work with fear specifically? Um, It seems like you'd have to do a lot of your own work and processing to get to that place.
3: Definitely. And um, a lot of time. Um, I, uh, I, I was personally driven by a lot of fear in my experience. And the way that I came to this was a lot of Um, sort of in feminist studies, looking at the uh, experience of women in higher education. And um, for me, I was shut down by a lot of barriers, everything from um, physical safety to voices in my head saying, oh, no, you're not good enough. Um, You're just faking this. And people are going to find out, you know, the classic imposter syndrome. And as a thought experiment, I, you know, just like wiped away all fears, like everything from like, you know, there's, you don't even have to pay tuition at this university that I created in my head. And so you're just like free to learn and do. And what that experiment showed was that um, when you take away all of fear, you have basically the same outcomes as having a whole lot of fear. So it's um, when, when you're not uh, at least have some kind of fear going on, You're not learning and you're not changing. You're in your comfort zone doing what you've always known to do. And so this was kind of a a conundrum for me. So I talked with one of my professors when I was in graduate school and she recommended a book by Parker Palmer, who I didn't know who this person was. And um, I I took her advice and read the book. Um, It was called Turge to Teach. And um, I was a little trepidatious because a lot of books about teaching are focused more on primary and secondary education, not a lot on the experience of teaching in higher ed. But, you know, she she's a smart woman, so I listened to her and read the book. And I remember this very particularly on page 36, he started talking about this sort of healthy fear that brings people into um, an engagement with learning Change does happen, and he refers to this kind of fear making one porous to learning. So, this idea of like a biological cell has a um, permeable membrane that is both protective and allows things to come in. I'm like, This is beautiful, this is absolutely what I'm looking for. So, I shot an email off to him, and um, then you know, just is. Did did anybody else know about this? Is anybody else talking about this? This is a great idea. Um, Sent it off and then looked up more about who he is and what he does. And he's an amazing man. He's um, actually quite famous in the world of education, um, internationally renowned. And I was just blown away. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just emailed God. And, And... then he answered (laughs) and um ask
1: and you shall receive
3: (laughs) Um, does he does answer when you email him evidently um (laughs) and he said that i don't know of anybody else looking at this i think it's really important please go and do and i'm like okay well i've got my marching orders and um so this started my graduate work in fear in transformational learning and how this can happen in a way that um so fear is way more complex than we've been led to believe it's not a simple on off switch or simply um degrees of intensity it's there's actually very different aspects to fear similar to the different aspects of love
1: beautiful um I, I like the fact that you, you remember the page number. Like, I, that to me tells me that that was a defining moment for real, you know? <laughs> yeah,
3: very, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. So um, I I, I want to hear more about, like, how you define fear and how we can recognize it. Because I think that a lot of people could um, confuse it with, a, with other different emotional
3: mm-hmm.
1: states or experiences, you know? Um,
3: right. Yeah, because you know, our being biological beings, um, there it's nothing is pure, right? Nothing. You don't just feel fear. You feel other things, um, and it is not until we have language that we actually have these different emotions. Um, biologically, where there's just you know hormones shooting off, you know neurons firing, but it is through our culture that we gain. The language that defines the experience. So we've, you know, seen study after study that people that speak different languages actually experience reality differently because Mm -hmm. our language defines that. So in our American English speaking culture, um, fear has, um, these nuances that we're not even aware of. Excuse me. And a long time ago, and I think it was like the fifties, there was a study that showed that the human air quotes, human response to fear is fight or flight. And that came out and people just ran with it and that became the human experience. The problem is that that study was based on a very particular population of young white men in Southern California. And- That is a
1: very specific population.
3: (laughs) Yes. And, wow. um, some, so the, the researcher, um, his name was Erickson, one of his students noticed this and said, Hey, that, that seems incomplete. <laughs> and let's just add the, um, another variable of just adding women run the same study and run it with both men and women. And in that study, um, there's like half a dozen people working on it. They found two more responses to fear. That they call tend and befriend. I call it care and connect because it's better alliteration and, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a nerd. Uh, but this is um, in complement to the other study. It's not that we don't have fight or flight responses, it's that we don't only have fight or flight responses. Um, the care and connect is two more. And then there's been more studies since that have shown up two more, which also have lovely um, alliteration of fake and freeze. So when, um, when you look at this, this whole gamut of responses to fear, you realize that human beings are far more flexible and adaptive than we've been led to believe. Um, so when you're, so oftentimes when you're feeling feel, there is a physiological sensation, you know, like a tightness in your stomach or in your throat, or um you know sometimes and you know sometimes it's associated with nausea or things like that and you can just depending on what is instigating the fear uh you can choose from this menu of responses because ultimately what fear functions as in our biological beings is an alert whenever you feel fear it's telling you pay attention this is important not telling you what to do, what you do is up to you. And, you know, as with most of life, it's not what happens, it's your response to it. And we have far more responses than we've been been led to believe. Mm -hmm.
1: How do we get to a place where we can choose a response? Because I think most people just react and they kind of get stuck in their groove of how they react to that feeling, you know?
3: missed that what did you say oh sorry i said
1: how um how do we get to a place where we can choose our response to fear because i think so many people just have a split second reaction Mm -hmm. they either run or they tell somebody to fuck off or they you know something (laughs) just very specific you know that it's just their their gut yeah yeah
3: and um that that is true and what um it will take is intention and time. If you want to have a different response um, than running away, just you know, just like separating yourself from the, or like somehow beating somebody up or whatever, attacking in some way, um, you, you have to like consider that. And like when there's, um, uh, I guess lower intensity situations than, you know, something that's like physically dangerous, Um, take a moment and think about, okay, what, how do I want to respond here? And it will take a long time because, you know, if you're an adult, you have been, you know, wiring this way for you, for decades, and it's going to take a while to rewire that. Um, we're, we're very good habit forming creatures. And when we change our intention into an intentional habit, I think there's something like it takes six weeks to break a habit, but the thing about stopping doing one thing is you have to put something else in its place, or you're just going to go back to status quo. So it just, it takes a lot of time. You're not going to be able to do it overnight. Um, And it might be helpful if you had people to talk to about what you're trying to do so that they too can, you know, maybe you can have kind of a study buddy on experiencing and responding to fear.
1: That's really cool, yeah. Um, one of the recurring topics that we've had on this show is imposter syndrome, and you mentioned that earlier. Um, what can you tell us about that and how fear functions in that?
3: Oh, yeah, so it's well <clears throat> documented that human beings' greatest fear is the unknown, you know, and, and this shows up as like fear of death, Um, fear of meeting people, anything that you don't know. And this relates to my studies in transformational learning because on the other side of transformation, you literally don't know what that's going to be because it's transformed. Um, What helped me a lot with releasing the imposter syndrome was actually meeting Parker Palmer and him telling me that he had imposter syndrome and he is, you know, this internationally renowned, brilliant man, published many, many books, um, is is very well set in his life, and still he's afraid that he's going to be found out to be a fraud. And um, I'm like, wow. So this is some weird recording that has nothing to do with reality. It has to do with, I think, there's some cultural messages about not um, championing ourselves particularly those of us that grew up in the Christian tradition, um, this thing about humility and not standing out um, and promoting yourself is taught. And there's, and, and that gets stuck in a weird way. And it, and it can morph into this belief that you are not actually the person that you are showing up in the world to be. And to I've I've also put into practice, um, like getting people that know me well in day to day and asking them for three words that describe me, that they would describe me as, and using that, I mean, like, again, research nerd, um, (laughs) I will, you know, run this experiment and show that in reality, I am showing up to be the person that I want to be, not the person that this weird voice in my head is telling me. That I'm, you know, faking it or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. That sounds like a really useful feedback. You know, I get frustrated sometimes with those. It seems like a game on Facebook. You know, like, oh, tell me that what's the first word that, you know, you comes to your mind about me that begins with the letter of the third letter of your first name <laughs> or something. You know, <laughs> but that sounds like an application of it that's really useful. You know, yeah, really and and truly how.
3: Facebook for this sort of experiment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. So this is a real interpersonal one-on-one, like people who know you well, Mm -hmm. how they see you.
3: Yeah. Because you can, you know, you can make a completely different persona online that has nothing to do with who you are in, how how the kids say it, IRL. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Right. So uh, how can you tell the difference between fear that's warranted and head noise like that, you know, like, Mm -hmm. how do you, yeah.
3: Yeah, that, that is a good question. Um, it very subjective. Um, so again, calling back to fears, main job, which is getting you to pay attention. So Mm -hmm. if you're feeling fear, notice where that's coming from for you and pay attention to it. Um. If, if you know, fear is coming up about uh, like being a fraud, being found out to be a fraud, where is that coming from? And, and just kind of my, one, another um, mentor taught me the five whys, that if you have a situation and you look at it and you ask why, okay, I'm, I'm feeling like an imposter. Why? Because I don't feel good enough. Why? Because um, I was put down in grade school by my teacher. Why? Because I was acting in a way that she didn't like. Why? Because I really didn't want to sit still. So I'm feeling like an imposter because I don't want to sit still. And it's it's this really handy sort of um, deep dive into where these emotions are coming from because we are conditioned to feel particular ways about particular things. And at a certain point, if that's not working for us, if um, the emotions that we're feeling and the responses that we're having aren't working to bring us to our bigger, better, faster, more lovey self, then we have the choice to change it. But it is hard work. Um, Again, our culture does not support this kind of um, action. If our political system um, could no longer um, trigger our fear responses, Um, this, this would be a very different country. And some people will not like that because it's, it's very easy to control people with fear. Um, and it is also when human beings at their, are at their most present. Um, so when you're noticing that you're afraid, so like watching impeachment hearings, why are you afraid is is this actually going to touch your life or is this because you've been paying a lot of attention to social media and people people's outrage that is so easily amplified on those platforms that you've overwhelmed your alert system and this is another thing that our our culture and our um habits have done is um similar to like an electrical system if you keep punching on that on button over and over and over again it will not function the way it's designed to so if you're constantly afraid you will not be able to tell what you need to pay attention to you can't pay attention to everything all the time so taking this down and breaking it apart to notice okay i'm afraid why am i afraid what it where is this coming from and then cerning one, you know, do I need to do anything about it? And if not, just let it go. Can I do anything about it? A lot of us are afraid of things that are like literally completely out of our control. And that is you know over overwhelming the system. And then getting to the all those why's down through through your experiences to understand, oh, okay, well, that that situation doesn't apply to me now. So I can let that go. And it, and again, this, you know, it sounds it's, it's extraordinarily artificial, um, especially at the beginning, and it will feel weird and it sounds hokey. But paying attention, really paying attention to what your fear is telling you, it can really free you with fear. So that you know, a lot of people talk about being free from fear. Um, it's it's better to be free with fear because you can no longer, no more be fearless than you can be like liverless. You can't be alive without fear.
1: Hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That was a really good, thank you for saying that because I was going to ask you about fear and anxiety in the Trump era, because I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of us are just kind of living with a baseline fear of a lot of things, you know, Mm -hmm. and I feel like some of it is, it's important to be alert to certain things that are happening in our, in our society right now. And I also do recognize the enormity of what's happening and, and, you know, and the fact that we have this president and what underlies that in our culture that brought that to be and all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So I have taken to finding the avenues that I can work on that feel important to me in my in my activism or in my writing or that sort of thing and trying to let go of like the just the generalized anxiety and fe- and i know anxiety is different from fear but don't not just living in abject fear as a constant you mm-hmm. know
3: um, yeah because it it's it burns you out i mean there are literal physiological consequences anxiety is an aspect of fear i have this like whole list in the english language of like i don't know 50 words that mean some sort of fear um and the kind that we're getting at well that i'm getting at that actually you want to have to pull you that draws you into engagement to go through your fear into something you can't even imagine yet which would be transformative is um what i'm calling apprehension Apprehension is is a wonderfully paradoxical word because it means to both um, dread, as in like stay away from, and and draw in, as in like apprehending a suspect means that when you catches a hold catch a hold of something that's trying to get away, and mm-hmm. then there's also that that dread of oh, I'm I'm going to catch something I don't know what it is you know like I'm going after something I don't even know what it is. Um, and this this is the this best describes the sort of fear that um, that Parker first mentioned as healthy fear or um, acceptable level of risk sort of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it has to be true for every person. I mean, we can't we can't you know prescribe across the board generalize any of this. That for each person, what is important is what's important to them. I had um, when I was in undergraduate, I worked as a personal attendant for quadriplegics. And these are some of the most amazing people I've ever met. One of them, she was studying to be a lawyer and working as a radio DJ to work through, and all she could move was her head. And um, I was, I came into work one day and I was all weepy. And I was trying not to show her that because she's got enough to deal with. But one thing about quadriplegics is similar to when somebody loses their sight or their hearing; they become freakishly psychic when they can't feel their bodies. And so she could easily tell what was going on with me. And she's like, well, "Talk to me. What what's happening?" And I'm like, "It's it's so ridiculous. Um, it's this boy troubles, and I can't even bother you with it because you know here you are, you're doing all these things, and you're and you're having to deal with so much stuff. I'm just I don't even want it." talk about it, and she looked at me, I'm gonna get misty just thinking about it, and she said, if it's important to you, it's important. And that has stuck with me. And it's a grace that I can easily offer other people now, because even if what, and especially as a parent, like when my little girl, if she was throwing a major fit because she lost her stick, um, I can be compassionate and say, that stick, you know, there's 40 bazillion other sticks, but that stick was important to her. So this is important. I need to treat it as important and not to not to shame her or punish her for being upset about something that I perceive as unimportant because it's important for her. Therefore, it's important. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And so then that, you know, what feels real to you and if you can identify apprehension is a great word because I think that that is what I feel when I know that once I get to the other side of something, then I'm going to feel better or something, something it's going to be something positive, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it is or not. Yeah, Yeah. that's true.
3: But for whatever reason, it feels like an
1: experience that it's worth going through, even though it's
3: scary. So I'm going to nerd out on the word for a moment. So fear is a real translate as, um, to go through and so they're like the uh, really old word in our language it's a teutonic word and it's related to other mm. terms that um trim the other words that are related to this are like farewell so go on a ju- wishing well on a journey so fair and fear they're very closely related in that sense and um so fear for us is like this experience of going through something and i had to look to other languages to find more words that apply to this sort of aspects these aspects of fear that we haven't been talking about but because literally we don't have the words for it and there's this word in italian called um, fiero and we in english recognize it when we see the physical movements when someone is feeling Fierro. So Fierro looks like
1: this.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's not great for a podcast though. I like that, that image. So (laughs) yeah. So the, the (laughs) pump in the air, the, the smile, the energy that's rising up, um, Mm -hmm. is, uh, it's the feeling that you have when you succeed through adversity. And that, that is that what you want to get a hold of on the other side of the transformation is that experience of success through adversity like you you do not get fiero because you get an a when you had somebody else write your paper or whatever you get mm. fiero because you sweated it out you looked up all the references you talked to your professor you had extra sessions because you had to bring your grades up and then dang you got that b and that to you is feels better than the person that got the aid because they paid somebody to write the paper
1: nice i like that as a as a as a goal you know as a (laughs) if you feel like that's possible or even if you don't even if you don't know Mm -hmm. you know getting to that place that's really cool so um i i want to wrap up with a couple things i want to know a little bit you have a new business called hand in the dark consulting
3: yeah, <laughs> and I want
1: to know a little bit about how that works.
3: Um, still, still finding out. Um, I kind of start this business on accident. Um, I uh, so my I've for the last decade since getting my doctorate, pretty much I have not had a job for longer than a couple of years because I tend to go in and ask transformative questions. And they, there's different outcomes, but all the, all of them culminate in me exiting that employment and Mm. almost always on good terms. In fact, I can't think of anything that wasn't on good terms that I don't still have relationships with people in those organizations. Um, and then with this latest one, I'm like, this is really wearing. And, um, then just out of my network, somebody emerged and said, Hey, would you come? help us figure out how to do a learning program for our organization. I'm like, sure. So wow, now I'm making um, money doing this and ooh, I probably need to start a business. Um, so it's hand in the dark consulting and the, my focus is on navigating change. Uh, a lot of people use the term change management, which is silly because uh, change is like the ocean and you can't manage the ocean. You can navigate the ocean, but you can't manage it. Um, change is gonna happen, and it can happen to you, it can happen with you, it can happen around you, just like water flowing. Um, and your experience of that change will be how you how you engage with it, not whether it happens or it doesn't happen. Um, and then Hand in the Dark, the, the name came from how... Um, Again, with my work with fear and transformation, you don't know what's on the other side. When a lot of people are feeling fear, making any kind of change, um, there's there's this darkness that they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if this is going to be good. Um, and so, I am not necessarily the one that can assure you that, oh yeah, everything will be fine. But I am there to hold your hand in the dark, letting you know that somebody else is there with you, and we're going to figure this out together. That
1: sounds wonderful and amazing and very um, needed and unique. All of those things.
3: Yay! You know? Yeah. Now I yeah. just have to find a logo that's not completely creepy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I did think about the name. I was like, hmm, that could be taken in a couple of different ways. <laughs> <laughs>
3: exactly. I did like a Google search on images for that phrase and like, oh my. Uh, okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> gonna, gonna have to rewrite this too.
1: <laughs> That's funny. So, any um, nuggets of wisdom you'd like to leave folks with about fear and how to confront it, how to be with it, whatever you think is important?
3: Um, I recommend everyone to your um, level of acceptable risk seek to engage with fear as a partner to show you very clearly what is important in your life because if you are in constant fear again if you're just overloaded with these alerts you are being driven by someone else's agenda you are not your own driver and when you can reclaim your fear for yourself so someone else isn't using it as a weapon weapon against you you can have the life that you want not the one that's been cast for you
1: Thank you so much. It has been amazing talking with you.
3: You're so welcome. Thank you for the invitation. This has been awesome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wendy here to tell you about my coloring book special offer. You can purchase all three of my coloring books for just $35. That's 30% less than if you purchased each book separately. This deal includes The Wendala Coloring Book Volumes 1 and 2 and Harlequin and Other Fantasies Meditative Coloring for Grownups. That's 50 individual pieces to color. Go to wendycards.etsy.com. That's Wendy Cards with a Z, where the shipping is always free.
1: Hello, this is Robin Renee. You can find me online at RobinRenee.com. and my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out. And you can like me at Facebook.com slash Robin Renee Fan, tweet at me at Spirit Rock Sexy, and follow me on Instagram at Robin Renee Music. I would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm.
0: here, fascinating. Okay. Fascinating. Okay. Fascinating. Okay.
2: I'm a fashion. Fascinating. Okay. Fascinating. Okay. Fascinating. Are you out of your bulk mind? Fascinating. I that. not battle. Fascinating.
3: Okay.
0: do Fascinating. Okay. Fascinating.
1: Stand by to receive my pants, fascinating.
2: You know, you asked me to talk about sonnets, but I don't think I was really planning to talk about sonnets so much as iambic pentameter and then the within that is sonnets but iambic pentameter that rhythm that your high school teachers told you this is how Shakespeare wrote da 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 and um it's well, uh
0: it's, it's Latin, right? Huh? Iambic iambic pentameter is a,
2: a Latin phrase. I think it's from Greek. Okay. I, I am is Greek for foot. So it's like a footfall, so that it goes, but um, but um, but um, that's a foot. Uh, that's it's okay. Un, unstressed, stressed, unstressed. Stressed. So it's the sound of people walking and talking at the same time is what the Greeks would do that. They would walk and talk at the same time when they were presenting things. Um, But the thing that, that, is magical about it is but um but it's a heartbeat so you're talking in the rhythm of your heart when you really do shakespeare or you really do iambic pentameter and what happens is that if you're if you're really going with the flow and you're talking in the rhythm of your heartbeat um the people in the audience start to match your rhythm in their own heartbeat before you know it, everybody's hearts are beating in the same rhythm in the audience. And it's a group experience. Everybody's in mm. the same room in the theater, as opposed to movies or something when you're in the theater and it's live, everybody's breathing and along with the actor on stage too. And when you're in that moment, it's like the music of the spheres again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> that, uh, I never heard that. Yeah, no, I didn't either.
2: Yeah, and if you've ever had that experience where everybody in the audience is breathing along with the actor on stage, you really get into it, and uh, it can be quite uh, euphoria. Uh, so well, that's a,
0: going in. it's sort of like, um, it reminds me of uh, the other Psychology esque stuff that I used to study, where you would get into rapport with somebody, so you would be mirroring their yeah. gestures and stuff. So I'm thinking, yeah. if everybody's heartbeat is syncing up, that's sort of like
2: this Uber rapport happening yeah. amongst and it's everybody. it's also like waves too. Like wow. Rain. Yeah. So, but then, as far as sonnets go, sonnet is like the um, it's like the Twilight Zone thing of uh. Of iambic pentameter in that it has this little structure of 14 lines that are in iambic pentameter. But the thing that makes it unique and different and like the Twilight Zone is you get down to the 13th and 14th line and it'll twist entirely. Whatever the thing was talking about, it throws it on its ear. You know how ah. like when you watch the Twilight Zone, there was always that surprise at the end. That's what it huh. That's what okay. I have. They have a surprise at the end. And so I if it say, doesn't have a surprise at the
0: end, it's just a poem yeah. in iambic pentameter? Okay. Yeah. So I
2: can well, read, read one if you want. When to the sessions of sweet silent thought, I summon up remembrance of things past. I sigh the lack from, of many a thing I thought sought, and with old woes new, wail my dear time's waste. Then can I drown an eye unused to flow for precious friends hid in death's dateless night, and weep afresh love's long since cancelled woe, and moan the expense of many a vanished sight. Then can I grieve at grievances foregone, and heavily from woe to woe well tell o'er the sad account of four bemoaned moan, which I knew pay as if not paid before. But if the while I think on thee, dear friend, all losses are restored and sorrows end. I don't know if you got that or not, but I as I'm reading it, I'm going, Oh God, did I just pick this because I've been staying up all night thinking about <laughs> my, my husband? So Aww. but um, That could be. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like sad, 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 but then when I think of you, I'm happy.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I got that. Yeah. What is the... um, Which sonnet is that? That's 30. Sonnet 30, Shakespeare. Okay. Yeah. Uh, It's got
2: some fun sounds involved in it, too. Like a lot of S sounds went through the sessions of sweet silent thought. So it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a fun thing to play around with.
1: Yeah. So I like the fact that you... Your delivery of it was not extremely rigid. Like I think sometimes when people learn to write sonnets, they they get the five iambic pent the five um, iams, and it's uh-huh. very plotting, very plotting, and very deliberate. Da 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 da. You know? Yeah. And I like the fact that you can have that presence, but it's it can flow in a more natural language.
2: Yeah. Well, that's it. Iambic pentameter is supposed to be natural speech. Yeah. Um. I when I was working with kids and doing it, I would I would throw sentences at them, and I had them walk and move around the room at the same time because the rhythm is in your body, and as you're moving, I'd throw something out like, "Your sister says she'll meet you at the mall." That's iambic <laughs> pentameter. Yeah. And it's just natural speech, too. It it has to do with the amount of air you can take in, how much you can say in one. It usually is a full line. And then you have hmm. to breathe to get to the next line.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: There's a lot of fun thing stuff with Shakespeare.
1: I yeah. forgot how much I love it. <laughs> so another question I have is for the rhyme scheme. Now, my understanding of it is that it's A, B, A, B for each of the three verses and then the last the couplet at the end is has to be different rhyme is that true Oh uh, um yes the the one the two lines at the end are cc yeah right. so meaning they're not they're not any of the rhymes that happened before is that right true? So, okay
2: yeah the last two for the, for that one i just read it ended with uh, dear friend and then sorrow's end so okay. the abab means every other Line rhymes with yeah. That's a fun thing to do too. To take a piece, a speech, or something that's an iambic pentameter, and just look at the last word, because the last Mm -hmm. word is usually of each line is usually the most important word. So with Mm -hmm. this one that I just read, it goes thought, past, sought, waste. That rhymed in Shakespeare's time. uh, (laughs) Night, woe, sight, foregone or moan before friend end sometimes it's just fun to just take those single words and say wow that's the theme of the whole thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so if they
0: rhymed in shakespeare's time the what was it sight and weight was those those the two words no uh it was um thought and something uh, there was waste waste and no, 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 what was it? No, past and waste. Yeah. Okay. So how would they have pronounced those two? Would it be past and wast? Yes. Okay. Yes, because I, I didn't paste
2: and waste. Yeah. I, it was just for me, I'm trying <laughs> to
0: figure out which is yeah, how the language has changed over time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There are some experts who have figured out how people actually did pronounce in Shakespeare's time. You can go on YouTube and find them. Um, yeah. I think it's called uh, original pronunciation. Okay. And and I,
0: I think I think there's a an area in North Carolina.
2: In on the the uh outer banks there's, uh in yeah, on there's the an uh, island in North the, Carolina where the people high
0: are talking in a yeah, way on that the
2: islands. Yeah. Yeah, well they they talk very much the way Shakespeare did, according to um there was this great show on PBS called "The Origins of the English Language: The Story of English." Maybe it was the story of English. was a yeah, Bill Moyer. It yeah, Bill Moyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, it's okay. I
0: have, I, I have, the, I bought the book. It was, I found that fascinating.
2: Yeah, yeah, the hoytoiders on the island off of uh, North Carolina.
0: Hoytoiders. That's so. Is that where hoity-toity comes from? Yeah, probably. <laughs>
1: That's interesting. I never knew about that. Yeah. So I'm really curious about what you said in the beginning about um, heartbeats sort of syncing up in the theater space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is the... I feel like there must be a beats per minute or or, or a, a tempo that it has to be spoken at to make that happen. Or is there any sort of wisdom about performance that talks about that? Well,
2: hmm... It's hard because Shakespeare didn't give a lot of directions, a lot of stage directions and it's just um I think that it just has to flow naturally. I don't I don't think uh I don't know I think it's mainly just flows naturally what what your natural heartbeat is. Okay.
1: But, but okay, so it's not I like doing if, if it's something
2: passionate it. <laughs> where people are scared, they might talk faster. But right. If it's something
1: luxurious
2: and sexy, they might talk slower.
1: But there's no like scientific window of like if you <laughs> like, speak at this this tempo, that will happen or something like that. That's what I was wondering. Uh, but,
2: um, no, so. it's as scientific as the humors.
1: Ah, uh, okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice, interesting.
1: Do you have That's another not- favorite?
2: Ah, uh, yeah, I do. Being your slave, what should I do but tend upon the hours and times of your desire? I have no precious time at all to spend, nor services to do till you require, nor dare I chide the world without end hour, whilst I, my sovereign, watch the clock for you. Nor think, the bitterness of absence sour when you have bid your servant one, once adieu. Nor dare I question with my jealous thought where you may be, or your affairs suppose. But like a sad slave, stay and think of naught save where you are. How happy you make those! So true, true a fool is love that in your will though you do anything he thinks no ill it's like uh i just have nothing to do but sit and wait on you that reminds me again of dogs
1: so yeah, <laughs> yeah the dogs are waiting <laughs> for you to come home so how do what do you feel about that in terms of it's the twist what is the sort of um concept twist,
2: twist that, at the end it, it's like i'm suffering i'm suffering because you're not here and i'm waiting for you and i'm waiting for you and i i, I can't do anything without you i just have the wait. i'm your slave and then then finally it ends with so true a fool is love that in your will though you do anything he thinks no ill it's like i don't really care i just love you i don't care what you do beat me i don't care
0: so it is basically
2: a dog. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's very dog like, yes. Hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah. Sort of I don't know. It's, it's weirdly just, unsettling to me. Yes, it one. is an unsettling one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it
0: it it really does it evokes in me in my head the scenes of of the dogs waiting for their people to come home. Yeah. Even if they're out of the house for twenty minutes.
3: But it, know, does,
2: it does it does also aside from dogs, if we think about <laughs> people, that it does seem like not a good relationship. No, it's not a healthy not a healthy relationship. Not a
0: particularly yeah. healthy relationship, no. But everybody knows somebody <clears throat> who's done this, you know. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have pages of my diaries, my journals where I have been like that so yeah i i also remember the the comedians who do who do those uh those dog dog impressions thank you (laughs) dog well it's you know they're they're doing like they're anthropomorphizing the dog and and it's like why aren't you when are you coming home? When are you coming home? And it's like it's been 10 minutes and they're freaking out. Yeah. And, and then and then it's when they do when you do show up, it's like, oh, I thought you were never coming back. Ah. So I'm so happy. That. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dog. Yeah. And I I uh I have another, I have for the next or a future Geekscape, we have to we have to uh we have to go into the um crossing of the streams with that guy who wrote all of the Star Wars movies up as Shakespeare plays.
2: Oh yeah. I'd love to. We definitely, that's a future one. (laughs) Yeah. I I haven't read any of those yet, but I really want to. I will loan them to you.
1: Well, thanks Mary. It was good to be reminded of sonnets. I've used them to do writing exercises from time to time. And um, it's just good to kind of refresh that memory about how they work and what they're about. And I learned some stuff too. Cool. Cool.